Well, have you ever been trying to explain something to a person or to a group of people that was really important or interesting to you and uh, that person or that group of people uh, just didn't seem to get what you were saying? They didn't find it as interesting or as important as you did. And maybe it was as if you were speaking um, a different language or in some kind of code language or something and they just... uh, you know, because of their reaction, you go, they're, they're not hearing me. They're not, they're not listening. They're just not getting this. And it can be very frustrating. I remember being um, right out of seminary and starting my first full-time youth ministry. And I was so excited because I've been in school for all these years. And I just can't wait to have this audience of kids so I can tell them all this stuff I've learned about God and theology and all this stuff. So I remember it was on a Wednesday night. And I had about 50 kids. And I, was, I believe I was doing a parable uh, talking about one of Jesus' parables, and, I, and I'm teaching, and um, as I'm kind of giving the background of this parable and Jesus' kingdom and all this stuff, I'm just looking at these glazed-over eyes. Like, uh, no one, and I'm like, yeah, this is not interesting to them. Uh, this is not really important to them, and uh, this is not going over real well. And I'm thinking, well, they have all been in school all day and listening to teachers, and they're, you know, they're probably done, and then they come in here, and, and here it is, one more person trying to teach them something. So they did not find what I was saying nearly as interesting and as fascinating or as important as I thought it was. And I remember going home that night going, that was a fail. (laughs) That just was not good. I I don't know that I did any good that night at all. And I realized that at some point, 13 to 18 year olds were not where I was in my life and what I was thinking about. And they were in a much different place. And I had to try to say, you remember when you were that age. And you got to kind of think about that when you're teaching them. But I had this big responsibility of trying to make the Word of God come alive for people in that age bracket. I had to try to convince them of why it was important to follow Jesus in every aspect of their life. Not just this thing that we kind of, you know, come to church and get in that box and do it. And then we just kind of live it whatever way we want to during the week. So that was important. So I made some changes, but even though I made some changes, I realized that there will always be challenges when you're trying to share something important, especially God's Word with other people. Even when you present it clearly, even when you present it just as as raw and as as plain as it is right there, some people are still not going to listen. They're still not going to get it, and some people don't want to get it or want to hear it. And I I took solace in the fact that they didn't always listen to Jesus. They didn't always pay attention to Jesus, not because Jesus wasn't a good teacher, but because of who we are as humans and what's going on in our minds and our hearts. Is that not true? I know there's a lot of probably teachers here or people who work with other people and maybe train people, and that's frustrating. But depending on where people's minds are, what you're thinking about, your worldview, where your heart is, what's going on in your life at the time has a lot to do with how you perceive and receive things when someone's trying to teach you. So as I read our text today, that particular incident on that Wednesday night came kind of back in my memories. I thought about Jesus trying to explain to people what his kingdom was like. And there were people who were hungry for something different than just simply religion. And they heard Jesus and they listened intently and they really tried to understand what Jesus was talking about in this kingdom. But others made Jesus aware that not only did they not care about his thoughts on the kingdom of God, but as he told them about it, he was way off. And uh, 
they were not really hearing or even trying to listen and understand to what Jesus said. They were just thinking, he's wrong. What is he doing? Who does he think he is? And I would guess many of y'all have experienced frustration in trying to share important information with other people or principles and their lack of enthusiasm for what is important to you. And I'm sure everybody's probably been in that place before. And maybe some of you are in that place right now. But today we're going to look at a parable Jesus told that may seem very simple on the surface. As, I, as I've mentioned, when Jesus told parables, we think, oh yeah, those are those great stories that Jesus told that made us feel good about things. Well, not always. Sometimes they made us scratch our head and go, what is he trying to say there? Or sometimes they were about really disturbing things that we had to think long and hard about and go, is he talking to me? Is he talking about this? Is he talking about that? What, what do I get out of this? It wasn't always easy. But Jesus forced us to listen and forced us to think about life and about afterlife and, and where we're all going with all of this. And Jesus was sharing um, in this particular parable about something deeper than just seeds that are being planted and growing. Jesus was sharing about how God's kingdom was actually present here on earth. And I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus, his, his presence is real. It's not just this kind of, well, we, we feel good about, we talk about, it's just kind of out there. But no, Jesus, as, as Kevin was singing, as we were singing that song, wanting Jesus to really be present in your life may seem foreign to some of us. But that's exactly what God wants to be, present in our lives. But Jesus taught in parables and he says this kingdom can actually be here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what this series is all about is it's not just something we pray like in Jesus prayer, Lord bring, you know, bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. No, do we really want Jesus kingdom to be here on earth? Because it is, but do we acknowledge it and do we act and do we behave like it really does in our lives? So I want to read from Matthew chapter 13 today, and Jesus is telling a parable, and he tells this parable, and as he's telling it, there are a lot of people that are going, what is this about? What is he talking about? And then his disciples, after he tells the parable, they go to him and go, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why do you use that method? And then Jesus explains why he uses that method, and then he explains what this parable he just told really means the, the ideas behind it, because it is a story about seeds, but there's something more to it. So let's, let's dig in and see what Matthew says in chapter 13. So then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing 
but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed fall, falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, you may or may not have heard this parable before. It's kind of a long one. And again, it's the parable. Then, Jesus, why do you teach like this? And then the explanation of it. And the parable seems like a basic farming story that anybody in Israel at that time could, could identify with because that was the main you know, thing that people did in that agricultural area is they did farming. And people saw seeds. They knew about seeds. They knew that's how plants come up. That plants came up. That's how they got their food. They were very aware of this. So Jesus is probably speaking their language to those he was talking to. And most everyone had not only seen farmers scattering seeds, but there was probably a lot of farmers in the audience listening that day or families of farmers who go, yeah, we know about that. But what does this have to do with God's kingdom? But this was not really about farming. Jesus was talking about something spiritual, something else about our lives. So why the parable? So the disciples are curious. Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Why do you use this method? And his reply is interesting at best, but it's confusing at worst. Did anybody get that when I read that? Like, what? You speak in parables because what? It almost seems like Jesus was trying to confuse people. So he replies, and the disciples might have said, yeah, we appreciate that. Maybe they were encouraged that we are receiving something that no one else is, but why are you teaching that in that way? He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, not to them. That probably makes them feel better, but whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I don't think the disciples go, oh, I get it now. Did you get it when he said that? I didn't. I was like, what does that mean? It sounds like you're trying to take something. So they're staring blankly at Jesus, and they're kind of going, what else you got? Because I'm, I'm still not understanding. Jesus, I think, sees their confusion, and then he says again, I speak in parables, though seen, and I believe this is more of a descriptive way of what's happening in life. And I think it transcends not only that first century into the people Jesus was talking to then, but it even if you think about, as you listen to this again, I think it transcends all culture. There's going to be people who hear and see, but they really don't hear or see. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then he, he reads the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceive, perceiving. This For this people's heart has become 
calloused. Have you ever had a calloused heart? Life can beat you down, can it? And it makes our heart calloused. And we understand being in those, those situations. And when we have a calloused heart, we hardly hear with their eyes. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with our hearts. It's hard for us to understand with our hearts when our hearts are calloused. And Jesus is speaking to this. But still not an aha moment for the disciples or me. If they don't understand Jesus, it sounds like you're saying you're going to even make it harder for them to understand. Isn't that what it sounds like? But is that really what Jesus is doing? And Jesus tells them how blessed they are to have the inside track as disciples. Blessed are your eyes because you see what people long to hear. The prophets of old long to see the Messiah that was coming and now you see it. For truly, I tell you, many prophets long to see what you did but not, did not see it. And long to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And then he explains the parable to them. So I'm thinking the disciples are thinking, yeah, we do have the inside track. And what was it about them? Well, you remember when Jesus called them as fishermen, as tax collectors, whatever, he called them right where they were and says, come follow me. When they were listening to his teaching, they were fascinated. And when he said, come follow me, they dropped everything, their fishing nets. That was their livelihood. Uh, Matthew, who, who wrote this gospel, was a tax collector. He left his tax collecting booth, just walked out and started following Jesus. Why would people do that? Because something in their hearts wanted something new. And they were attracted. This guy has to be who he says he is by the way he teaches. And then they saw the miracles and they knew who, who he really was. So they have the inside track. But before we get into Jesus' explanation, I want us to take a stab at what Jesus was saying about his reason for parables because it is kind of confusing. But remember, as we look at these parables about the kingdom, we need to remember that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, it's always all-inclusive of everybody. Not just to the Jewish people, which is what they wanted, but when Jesus talked about it being for all people, they were like, what are you talking about? Not for Gentiles, not for anybody that's not Jewish, just the kingdom of Israel. And he's like, no, God's kingdom is all-inclusive. And it is mysterious. Yes, it's mysterious. And notice that he's going to use a seed. Is there anything more mysterious than a seed? How many of y'all remember have pulled out a packet of seeds? Okay, I remember when I was growing up, my mom, you know, you remember Easter baskets at Easter? My mom would give us Easter baskets, and she would always put seeds, those little packets of seeds in there. And we would have fun pulling the seeds out and there's a picture on the front what it's supposed to be like. And you usually start with uh, like Dixie cups, you know, putting a little dirt in the Dixie cup. Or um, egg crates, you'll ever done the egg crates where you put the dirt in with your kids. And you, and you plant these little seeds in there and you just cover them with dirt. I mean, they're so small anyway. And you put them and you put them and then you just watch. You just wait. And you put them in the window and you water them. You go, hey, did anything come up? But something underground after you plant these seeds is happening that we don't really understand. But we know it's real, don't we? It's mysterious. And that's the way God's saying his kingdom worked. It's mysterious, but it's actual. And you remember going back to the window and go, hey, mom, come here. There's some things coming up. I see the little green coming up. And you finally move out of the Dixie cup into a bigger plant. And then hopefully you put it in your yard somewhere when it gets bigger. We've all probably done that. But it's actual. It's all inclusive. It is mysterious, but it's actual. And God's word is announced in the world, in a hostile world. But it still requires a response from us, always. 
And sometimes that response is hard to come to. It's a process, and Jesus knows that. He's not making it easy for people, but he's not necessarily making it difficult. But he's saying, this is the way things are, and you have to think. You have to really decide, how are you going to respond to God's kingdom? And he isn't being difficult to leave people out of God's kingdom. We talked about last week, remember? He says, even the least in God's kingdom, the least person in God's kingdom is even greater than John the Baptist. And everybody went, John the Baptist? How could the least be as great? He goes, no, that's the way God's kingdom works. And we know ultimately Jesus would give his life so that all, everybody could receive forgiveness and inherit eternal life. So what's the deal? Why make it hard through these stories? But I believe Jesus is saying when you fully trust Jesus like the disciples did, they didn't understand everything, but they really trusted him. They were willing to drop their lifestyle, what they were doing, and say, I want to know more about this. I know I still have to make a living, but I want to know more about this. And they pursued Jesus as Jesus pursued them. And they, and, he showed, and they said, hey, we know who you are through what you've shown us, through what you've said. And they started to slowly grasp this kingdom of God. Not everything, but they started to grasp it. And Jesus is saying, because you have given, been given these little secrets of the kingdom and you believe and trust in who I am, then guess what? You'll be given even more, abundantly more, because you're pursuing God. But if you're not going to trust God, if you're going to say, oh, he was a good teacher. Yeah, Jesus taught a lot of good things, but really the Son of God, really being God in the flesh, virgin birth, all that stuff, I don't know about that. That's not trusting God. And it starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God said, and Satan goes, hey, can you really trust this God to say he is who he says he is? And it still goes on. But if you don't fully trust him and he's not, not really who he claimed to be and just a good teacher, then you know what? You will not understand what he's talking about. Even the very little bit you might seem to go, yeah, I think I understand. He says it will be taken from you. Now, is Jesus going to take that from you? Is God taking that from you? No, as he says in this parable, the enemy will take it from you. He knows there's just a little bit like, this, like Satan did in the garden. Did God really say that? He's trying to take what little trust you have and take it away. You can't trust God. And that's how the enemy works. So Jesus explains the parable. And he basically says this farmer is, is sowing seed. And it falls on these four different grounds. Along the path and the rocky places among the thorns. And then ultimately on the good soil. Well, let's talk about those. The path. When someone hears the message Jesus says about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in their heart. The word is meant to go into our heart and make us think about life differently. But he says that as soon as it's sowed, sometimes the evil one comes and takes it. How does he do that? He has the power to do that. But notice that he uses birds who come and eat it. When birds eat seeds, y'all... They pass them. You know what I mean? You ever washed your car and you see that spot on your car? And have you ever noticed there's a seed there? Now what's fascinating to me about this, even though Satan can come and snatch it, that was still sown. There's still power in that seed. And this is how I know this. There's this dropping on my car. And it's going to rain really hard. And all of a sudden I notice that thing fades. And it goes down the car and it drips into my driveway. And it runs into a crack. And all of a sudden I see these little seeds in the crack of my driveway. Everybody ever seen these? And you go, how did that happen? Have you ever seen how seeds, you know you cleaned all the weeds out of your garden, but they still end up in your garden? Because that's the power of a seed, isn't it? It can go anywhere. Remember the movie Jurassic Park? Remember Dr. Ian Malcolm? 
Jeff Goldblum. And he was challenging the, the scientists who were talking about this dinosaur park that we're going to have. And he's going, I don't know, fellas, this, this does not seem good. Oh, we've got this under control. They're not going to reproduce. We figured out what their DNA is, and we can take that DNA out, and they won't be able to reproduce. And he goes, really? You think you have the power to do that? And they go, what do you mean? He goes, life uh, finds a way. Y'all remember that line? And it's so true. And I know he was coming from a different perspective, but it's the same way. God finds a way with the power of his words to transform even the most calloused heart. Even when Satan tries to take away what was sown in your heart, there will be another chance. Jesus is always around and that word will come back and you will hear it again and it will be presented to you for a response. And then there's rocky places. When someone hears the word and receives it with joy, but there's no root. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, they fall away. And that happens sometimes. At first we hear the message, I need that forgiveness. I want that forgiveness. And then later down the line you go, what, what happened? You, you, were, you were baptized. I, I'll, I'll tell you one of the most heartbreaking things for me is when I have someone come forward and I, and I, and I ask them to say that confession of Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. And then we walk back there and I baptize somebody. And for the first few weeks, they're in church every Sunday and they're getting involved in a small group. And then all of a sudden, six months to a year later, I go, hey, whatever happened to, it breaks my heart because I go, I beat myself up. I go, what did we do? We as a church, we shouldn't stand me. What did we do wrong? How did we, we should have done this. We didn't get them involved. Enough. We, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? We do this. And maybe some of y'all know that feeling. But Jesus is telling me that it just happens sometimes. We fall away because of persecution or, or whatever. Um, there's a story that Tim Keller uh, tells in one of his books called Making Sense of God. And it's a story of uh, Lord Kenneth Clark, one of Great Britain's most prominent historians and authors. And he was the producer of the show, of the BBC television show called Civilization. In an autobiographical account, Clark writes that when he was living in a villa in France, he had this amazing supernatural experience. Listen to what happened. He said, I had a religious experience that took place in the church of San Lorenzo, but it didn't... It, did not seem to be connected with the harmonious beauty of the architecture. I can only say that for a few minutes, my whole being was radiated by a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I had ever experienced before. This state of mind lasted for several minutes, but wonderful as it was, it posed an awkward problem in terms of action. My life was far from blameless. I would have to reform. My family would think I was going mad, and perhaps after all, it was a delusion, for I was in every way unworthy of such a flood of grace. Gradually, the effect wore off, and I made no effort to retain it. I think I was right. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course, but I had felt the finger of God, quite sure, and although the memory of this experience has faded, it still helps me to understand the joys of the saints." Does that seem weird to any of y'all? To have that kind of experience and know without a shadow of a doubt it was God speaking to you. But then he said, but then I had to stop and go, but I would have to reform. I would have to change. People would think I was crazy. See, when persecution comes, when things come, we want to go, oh, I don't know if I really want to be a part of this Jesus thing. And that's sad. But it's true, isn't it? 
we can initially have it with joy. But again, make no mistake, that seed is still being produced. Even when we reject it, even when we fall away, there's going to be Jesus somewhere else in another part of our lives that's going to be speaking even to our calloused hearts to try to get us to see and to hear who he truly is. Among thorns, the person who hears the word but the worries of life. Does that resonate with anybody? Absolutely. The worries of life are resonating with all of us, whether we admit it or not. And the deceitfulness of wealth, he says, will choke it out. They are unfruitful. And we know maybe we're in that place right now. Maybe our heart. And this really, y'all, if you think about it, these are conditions not necessarily of the soil, but they're conditions of our heart, aren't they? When we hear the word of God, depending on the condition of our heart, that's how we're going to receive or not receive Jesus. Some of you today, you're not hearing me. You're hearing Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And you know what? That's because of the condition of your heart. I'm not judging you. I'm saying Jesus is saying that's the way we are as humans. But he's not going to forget about you. Even if you're worried sick about your job right now or if you're going to get COVID or whatever it is and you're not hearing what I'm saying, God is still going to speak to you in this world at some point and work on your heart and on my heart because he knows where we are. He knows our hearts. Well, Gabe Lyons wrote this article about faithfulness in an age of distraction. And do we not live in an age of distraction? This was written in December of 2019, so not that far away. But listen to what he says. He said, did you know that 64% of car accidents are caused by distracted driving? Not that surprising. The average student can focus on a given task for only two minutes. You teachers are going, I know that's right. The typical Internet's user online screen focus lasts for an average of 40 seconds, and then we're on to the next thing. The average 25 to 34-year-old checks his or her phone 50 times a day. You're going, I'm not that age, but I do that. The average 25 to 34-year-old spends 2.5 hours a day on social media, while the average 8 to 18-year-old spends 9 hours a day on social media. Think that's distracting? You ever tell your kid, got to go to school and they're on their social media? You ever said, go brush your teeth and they walk in there with their toothbrush, with their thing? I'm having to literally take my phone out of my kid's hands and go, no, you're not going to fix your cereal with that in your hand. It's a distraction and it happens to all of us. And he says, excessive device usage is leading to decreases in marital and relational satisfaction. Loneliness is an epidemic with 54 Percent of people saying they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them at all. On average, we spend 650 hours per year reading and responding to emails. Does that blow your mind? You go, yeah, I believe that. We touch, swipe, and tap our screens an average of 2,617 times a day. You think we're distracted? Maybe we're not hearing. Yeah, but, but I, I have a Bible study that I do on my phone. I, I blog on my phone about Jesus, and that's all good. And, and thank God for people who are making that a part of social media. But still, it is a distraction. And even though the people in the first century didn't know anything about this technology we would have in these little boxes, they still had distractions, and they're going, yeah, he's right. And ours are even more today, and we need to be reminded of that. And then there's finally the good soil. This is the ideal soil prepared for the seed. A person hears the word, Jesus says, and understands it and produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
30 times what was sown. That's a lot. 60 times is even more. 100, can you imagine, from one little seed producing 100 times that? And this is what we were created for, y'all, to produce a crop of God's kingdom. Fruit of the Spirit, those kind of things. The power is not in us, but in the seed of Jesus that is within us when we fully trust Jesus. All the soils will ultimately produce, but which will produce a crop of 30 or 60 or 100. And our hearts are these different types of soils. And it's not just the Word of God. It's not like, oh yeah, I know what you're saying, Craig. We need to go take the Bible to everybody in the whole world. We get it, but that's what missionaries do. No, it's the Word is not necessarily the Bible. The Word is Jesus. You remember in John's Gospel, Jesus, that same word that's used here for the Word is the same word that's used for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's Jesus. And Jesus is all over the world. He's everywhere. When missionaries go somewhere, they're not taking Jesus to those people. Jesus is already there because he is omnipresent. Missionaries are going to just open their eyes and maybe hopefully their ears and say, you need to know the good news of the Jesus that's already in your midst. And do you realize that more, our country has not necessarily, it has changed from being a godly Christian country to not so much anymore. You know how I know that? More foreign countries are sending missionaries to the United States than ever before in history because they see the news. They watch social media and they go, those people in the United States need Jesus. But he's here. We just need to wake up and understand where is our heart? How are we responding to Jesus? The word is sown everywhere. It's omnipresent. And in all kinds of people with all kinds of conditions in their heart, they can respond, but it will only produce to a heart that's able to trust the Word, to trust Jesus, who is the Creator, who is the Savior. So the question today for us is, what is the condition of your heart? Are you hearing God, or are your ears closed, or your eyes closed? Is your heart callous? And listen, y'all, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Jesus knows where you are. That's why he's saying it's always going to be, there's going to be seeds scattered constantly trying to get you to grasp hold of that. But it does require a response, a response from you to say, I'm either going to trust Jesus or I'm going to reject Jesus.